0: so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire.
1: Peace be with you. Friends, at the beginning of a sports season, beginning of a football or baseball season, a coach will bring his players back to the basics. When I was playing football, the coach would always begin the season with a three-point stance, with the mechanics of a handoff, the basic moves of the game. Same with baseball, coach in the early spring would take us through the stance, when you're batting, throwing the ball, sliding, the elemental moves. You can't do something spectacular in a sport until the basics are in place. Same is true in the spiritual life. We've now come to this first Sunday of Lent. Lent is a time, spiritually, of returning to the elemental moves of the spiritual life, getting back to basics. There's something very simple and elemental in the readings for Lent because we're being asked to look at these foundations. So first Sunday, first reading, the church asks us once more to revisit the beginning of the book of Genesis, the story of the creation. And the fall. What goes right, what goes wrong. I know we've heard this story a thousand times. The church says, we all need to hear it again. Let's now walk through it step by step. Listen now. The Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life and so he became a living being. There's so much packed into that line. We have been formed by God. In our totality, formed by God. Every bit of us comes from God. Life, breath, being, existence itself is a gift. We don't own or have our own lives, they come to us as a grace. We are owed. Nothing in the spiritual life. Rather, all of it is gift. Here's one of the most basic truths we need to be reminded of, over and again. Our lives don't belong to us. Our lives are not about us, but they come to us received from another source. We live from God, and therefore we must live for God. Is this bad news? No. Well, I mean, My, my whole being comes from another. My life doesn't belong to me. This is not good. No, says the Bible over and over again. This is the best news. Why? God breathes into us His life. We have a living God who wants us to be alive with His life. The trouble is when we start resisting it. We start saying we exist and breathe and choose on our own terms. That's when sadness sets in. A living God who wants us fully alive. That's the message here. You know, I've quoted to you very often that wonderful line from St. Irenaeus. Gloria Dei Homo Vivens. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's Yahweh now breathing his life into Adam and Eve. God planted a garden in Eden and he placed there the man he had formed. What's God's intention for us? To dominate us? To manipulate us? To lord it over us? No! God's intention is to breathe his life into us and then to place us in a garden where we can fully flourish. The Garden of Eden. Think, too, for a biblical person, someone who is used to a desert environment. How wonderful a garden must have seemed, a place of visual delight, a place of wonderful aromas, a place of great beauty. That's what God wants for us. And notice, please, we get practically full reign in the Garden of Eden. Eat of all the trees you want. There's only one you shouldn't eat from. But otherwise, anything you see, any of these delights, partake of them. God's not trying to prevent us from being alive. He wants us alive. And so our free reign in the Garden of Eden stands for all of christian humanism art science politics architecture sports entertainment play all the things that makes life wonderful god wants us to have that's what the garden of eden means and our practically full reign in that garden Now, enter the serpent. A serpent is there. God's creature. It's a very important point to make. The serpent is not God's sworn enemy, not God's opponent, as though they're on some kind of equal playing field, as though it's the force of light against the force of darkness. The serpent is God's creature. Whom God allows to exist in his garden. The Christian faith has always, from the beginning, resisted all forms of Manichaeism. That means these crazy dualisms of matter and spirit, dark and light. There's one Lord, there's one God. And now he permits the serpent to do what he does. But don't think for a minute the serpent is God's equal opponent. By no means. What does the serpent say? Listen, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? Well, Eve clarifies, no, no, it's just from the one, just from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one we shouldn't eat of. The serpent says, you will not die if you eat of that tree. God knows well that the moment you eat of it, you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. We know something very important now from this little commentary. We know how not to read the Prohibition. We have here the serpent's interpretation. Namely, God wants to keep something from you. God wants you not to be fully alive. He's jealous of you. He's your rival. Christians, that's how not to read the Prohibition. How should we read it? God says, do not eat of this one tree the knowledge of good and evil. Do not appropriate to yourself the prerogative of determining right from wrong. Do not make of your own will the measure of right and wrong. Do not make of your own mind the measure of good and evil. That belongs to God. Just as God has breathed life and existence into you, so it's God's prerogative alone to breathe moral and spiritual life into you. God is the measure of good and evil. Christians, when we forget this, and we make ourselves the measure of good and evil, we cling to this prerogative, we lose life, and joy, and fullness of being. And this is the tragedy that the book of Genesis is putting its finger on. This is what the church wants us to reflect on in the season of Lent, as we get back to the basics. God is the measure of your life. Your life is not about you. God is the measure of good and evil. Not you. The tragedy is Eve fell for that suggestion. She ate of the fruit of the tree. Then she gave it to her husband. He ate of the same fruit. And at that moment, their eyes were open, it says. To what? Their eyes were open to the disaster that follows. Now that they see God as a rival, they necessarily see one another as enemies, they see nature as an enemy. Once their relationship with God was interrupted, their relationship with everything else was interrupted. All of the struggle and trial of sin flows from this misinterpretation. They are expelled from the garden not because God is vindictive. They're expelled from the garden because of a kind of law of karma. There is this consequence too grasping at the knowledge of good and evil. We are expelled from the place of life, what God wants to give us. Now, with that in mind, we turn to the Gospel. This magnificent story in Matthew's Gospel of Jesus' temptation in the desert. Notice, as he confronts Satan, how he reverses the momentum of Eden. Jesus reverses what happens in the garden. Listen. At the end of his 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is hungry. The tempter arrives. Look, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself. Read it spiritually. Make sensual pleasure the determining value of your life. Allow your sensual desire to dictate good and evil. What does Jesus say? Not on bread alone is man to live, but on every utterance that comes from the mouth of God. Notice he reverses. It's not my need that determines my life, but rather it's the utterance that comes from the mouth of God. I listen to God, and that gives my life its meaning. Next, temptation. He takes Jesus up to the parapet of the temple. Throw yourself down, for Scripture has it he will send his angels to bear you up. Glory, my ego, myself on display. Everybody can see me. Even God kowtows to me. The temptation is to make of our own egos the measure of our lives. To make of glory the greatest good. Listen again now to Jesus. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, he reverses the momentum. It's not my glory that determines my life. Rather, it's God and God's desires that determine the meaning of my life. Last temptation. He takes him to a high place, a high point of vantage, this mountaintop. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in one glance. All these I will give you if you but bow down and worship me." Once more, power, my power becomes the measure of my life. My power will determine the difference between right and wrong. What makes me more powerful? That's right. What takes away from my power? That's wrong. Jesus once more reverses. You shall do homage to the Lord your God. Him alone shall you adore, not sensual pleasure, not glory, not power, they don't determine my life. But at every turn, God's will, God's voice, God's purpose determines my life. Christians, we're back to the basics of the Christian life. Worship the Lord your God, Him alone you adore. And God bless you.
0: I hope that you were moved today by the Word on Fire. I pray that together, We might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.